Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Claudio Morario, CEO and co-founder of Innertrends. In this episode, Claudio shared best practices on how to get started setting up data analytics tracking, metrics and properties to consider, and why a tracking plan is essential. We then discussed how to identify and select your onboarding and activation metrics for companies at different stages in their growth cycle, and we finished off by discussing how to effectively analyze churn and retention with your data. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. How do you build a habit-forming product? You need to invest. And you saw these, these different... You don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Claudio. Welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. Very happy to be here. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Claudio is the founder and CEO of Inner Trends, a product analytics company with plug-and-play pre-built analytics reports designed by SaaS growth experts and built by data scientists. Claudio is also a partner of Microanalytics, where he has spent almost 20 years helping companies like Orange, ING, and Samsung with their data and analytics. So my first question for you, Claudia, is what is the biggest data challenge you see SaaS businesses facing? Well, it's not the analysis itself, which might come as a surprise for many, but rather structuring the data and preparing it for analysis. They often say that data scientists spend like 80% or 90%, depends on who you ask, on data cleaning and preparing. And a lot of the people that get into the industry and want to analyze data don't realize that. So without having the data structured in the right way and without having it clean or validated, it's almost impossible to find insights or patterns or anything valuable in it. So that was one of the main challenges we knew we had to tackle if we were to launch pre-built analysis. Uh, basically allowing people to click on a link and get the report without doing anything, without building the report. But that only works if your data is well-structured, clean, and validated. So yeah, that's uh, something we have to tackle. Yeah, it definitely is a huge challenge. I think we previously had Eleanor Dorfman, who was at uh, Segments at the time, where we talked a little bit about their user onboarding experience. And how they actually added friction to it and slowed the onboarding experience down by forcing like bigger customers to go through an experience where they created a data tracking plan. Because what they'd realized was those that just got started very quick ended up creating the mess uh, that segment was designed to fix in the beginning and how important 
sort of the data integrity and data governance is really starting off with a good solid tracking plan uh, is the, the best way there. So you've obviously then experienced and seen this quite a lot yourself. Um, what are some of like the recommendations now if uh, people are thinking about, okay, I want to go about starting to understand my general retention better. I want to start my understanding data analytics. Like where do you get started with tracking? Like what are some of the events and things people should be thinking about um, to set them up to be able to do some of the more complex things later? Yeah, I love that question. And I'll start from what you just said about segment, because if I love something that is good friction, and I can't recommend enough building good friction inside inside your product. Um, and for us, it was the same. Like when we started InnoTrends, we started with a managed setup. So we said, uh, in, before we got to product market fit and to understand exactly how customers would get value and so on, so I will do the setup for you. Uh, and we actually witnessed that friction ourselves and we saw how difficult it was to get there. And yes, we got to the same conclusion like Segment did, with, which was you need a tracking plan. But we actually went even further. What do you put in the tracking plan? How do you decide what events to track? How do you decide what account properties or event properties to add to the tracking plan? And that's when we that's when we when we realized that you need to start from the business needs. That's something that customers understand their needs. That's something that's very clear to them. So we put another step in front, so more friction, yeah, good friction, which is what we call the customer journey metrics map. So before you track everything, anything, you need to build your customer journey. And we go through the five pillars of growth, acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, and referral. And for each pillar, we define different stages. And for each stage, you need to define uh, steps or metrics. And I'm going to focus on one of the most important ones, uh, which is activation onboarding. Under activation, we have two stages, onboarding and goals. And onboarding, we have a very strict definition for this, especially to help customers get to the bottom of it, because there are so many ways in which you could define onboarding. And the definition of the onboarding process is critical for analyzing retention and therefore churn. So our definition for onboarding is the process that takes people from creating an account to experiencing the promise of your product for the first time. So you need to go and brainstorm with your team. Well, not brainstorm because you don't need to brainstorm. You need to align with your team. What's our promise? What are we promising our users? And what's the first Time. When is the first time when somebody experiences that promise? Well, that's the first core event you need to add to the tracking plan because that's probably one of the most important ones. The first time it happens, you have a user onboarded. When it happens on repeatedly, you might get to your North Star metric. And when it happens on a regular basis, you have high engagement. So that action alone, if you could only have, if you would need to have only two events tracked in your product, it would be created account and experiencing that promise. And you could get so much value only from these two events. Yeah, I really like the, the simplification and the focus on a couple of events because I think this is one of the problems that I see a lot of uh, people getting started, uh, getting set up with analytics and metrics is, 
they start thinking, okay, we need to track everything and we need to have an event for X and Y and Z. And what if we don't have this? Or what if we don't have that? And uh, they end up sort of like digging their own graves before they even get started by creating this mess. And it really is sort of that simple, as you say, like there's maybe five to 10 metrics over time that you're going to focus on the most. And the, the other ones are just really peripheral little things that add very little value in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and I like the focus that you mentioned, like really just picking it to that. What is that one onboarding metric that we know, like that's the value that customers came to us. I think like we exist today, we develop products and services to deliver value to our customers. They have certain expectation of what that looks like. And if we can measure that with a single metric, it's, it's amazing. Um, and most products you can do uh, because uh, we software as a service businesses typically. So the, Going about determining them that then it's just an alignment issue. You say like internally, because like there'll be some sort of debate. Oh no, this is the value that our customers believe. This is the value. Um, how do you sort of deal with those uh, issues internally of like really deciding what is that one key onboarding metric? Because uh, I'm sure you've seen a few of these discussions over time. Yes, 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 we do. Uh, and there are two, two different uh, directions here. There is one direction of the... Um, companies that already got to product market fit. So they have, acquisition works well for them and the market has a need for their product and they come and whenever, and even those companies are not aligned often, like marketing would see, say that uh, our value is something and sales would see something else. Uh, so I always go to them, I say, open your homepage. What's the big heading on your homepage saying? What's the action in your product that delivers that? Because that's your promise. That's what people come and see and they want to buy. Uh, and often that uh, heading is really well written because they got product market fit. Those companies uh, know what they are doing. But then you have the companies that didn't get there. And when you go to the heading of the homepage, you, even them, it's abstract. They don't really know what they, is the value that they are delivering. And for them, it's kind of going to the jobs to be done framework. Like you need to find out what's the job, what's the problem that you are fixing to your users and that's related to the promise. So you kind of need to go through that framework. I actually had a great conversation today with Georgiana Laudi from Forget the Funnel about this. Uh, she's a uh, she, she has a great framework on getting to, um, to that uh, promise. Uh, and yes, once you identify it, you put it on your homepage because yes, you want people to see it and then it becomes the definition of your onboarding process. Uh, but then there is a third scenario when the promise is not easily tracked with a single event. And that, let's say a reporting product, product uh, I don't know, stock market reporting product. I go, I sign up for a SaaS where I get reports on the stock market. Well, the promise is I'm going to give you reports that will make you uh, make better investment decisions. But what's the event that I delivered that promise? Because simply loading a report doesn't mean that you actually understood it. So you need to find a proxy in those situations. And yes, that's where we kind of come in and help. For example, for such a product, a good proxy is that I created a report that I came and viewed on a second day through my own. That means that 
I probably understood something from that. The chances for me to understand something from that report are much, high, are much higher if I come back on a second day to see, the, to see that report compared to just open the report and that's it. So yes, you need to sometimes look for proxies for value, but most of the times it's straightforward. Yeah. Um, I definitely see all three of those cases uh, very clearly. Like you say, like when you have product market fit, it's clear, like everybody on the team really knows what the value is that your uh, product's delivering. I think though, sometimes in product market fit, you have a similar situation uh, to when you don't have, where you might have multiple use cases of the product and you have different audiences coming to you for different reasons. So like uh, at Hotjar, we had this where Hotjar at the time when I was there, we still had like eight products in one. Uh, and obviously, like I'd say 80% of our users came for um, heat maps and recordings. And we could say, okay, yes, in one way that the inactivation onboarding metric is like once they've seen their first heat map or seen their first uh, recording because they've got the value now. But there's other group of users who are just signing up for feedback. And I think like these are some things like in the beginning, maybe because, you know, 80 or 90%, that's the use case. Focus on that first. Uh, but then over time, you can layer on that sophistication of like, understanding of why did they come to us to begin with and that's where you say like the jobs to be done um framework is very very powerful uh, even at the stage when you do have product market fit yes. and uh, it just helps solidify and uh, further um give clarity to I'll, the team i'll even dive deeper into that because uh i i do see that scenario a lot and uh, as you say for bigger companies uh, well-established companies and what we do there is actually still focus on a single definition, but on an abstract one. People go to Hotjar to learn how to improve their products. Maybe that, that's the promise. That I can, and they can do that through multiple tools. I can do a heat map. I can do a video recording. I can do multiple things. So you can go and abstract things. View a report uh, might be on a second time or view three different reports from three different angles. So you can go through abstractization to find a single definition that covers all the eight scenarios because at the end of the day, Hotjar, the purpose of Hotjar is the same. It's not doing also accounting and banking and uh, analytics reporting or so on. It only yeah. does one thing. And it is difficult. You need that's when you need to go for a brainstorming session. What's the abstractization of our onboarding process that tells us that people got value? And it actually makes the tracking plan so much easier to configure after. You don't get hundreds or tens of uh, events that need to be tracked. You actually get to a very small list that makes a lot of sense and a couple of event properties to distinguish everything. And yeah, it becomes very beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, again, like you keeping things as simple as possible. I think that's like the message. If you're thinking about putting together a tracking plan is like start, uh, like Claudia is saying, there's even like one or two events and then layer on from there. Now you're going to get so much more valuable than that than trying to think you need to think about everything from the start. Uh, you mentioned properties then as well. I think this is another area where when we start to think about like sending events, we start thinking, okay, what are all the properties that we can send and what are all the ways that we're going to want to use these? What is some of your advice that you have for people thinking about like what event properties to be sending with your events? So um, let's for, I, we first focus on account properties and then we go to the event properties. Uh, account properties are much more important because they allow segmentation. 
And segmentation is very, very important in, uh, in data analysis. Uh, now, at Inertrends, we are cohort-based by default. And when you do cohort-based with segmentation, some real magic can happen. So first thing you need to focus on uh, is the account properties. And the first account property that you should focus on from our perspective is to uh, on, the, on the account properties that come from the onboarding process, which, uh, which are related to the qualification of your accounts. A lot of businesses have questions that you need to answer when you sign up. Those are probably one of, of the most important account properties that you should track. That segmentation alone will give you a lot of insights of who should you focus on, who, where is easier to onboard accounts, and so on. When we move towards event properties, we look at event properties as way to, uh, to give more context to the events themselves. So the, the idea is to, uh, to have everything simple at the event level. We typically have all events covered in three categories, core events. We are yet to find a business that needs more, that has more than 30 core events. And those are really big businesses. Most and businesses have five to 10 events, core events. Um, then we have UX activity, UX events, which is that what everybody refers to, like you need to track everything. Yes, under US, UX activity, track every click, every page view, everything, but you can um, identify with accuracy, so no false positives there. Um, but those UX events are not so important as the core events. The purpose of the UX events is to identify what influences users to do more of the core events. You don't even need 100% accuracy on the UX events because mostly it's mostly statistics there. And the first type of data is integration data because uh, a lot of your customer data sits in Stripe or in Intercom or in other like marketing automation, HubSpot, CRMs, and so on. All of the data needs to come together because it's, it's a, a story. Now, event properties we mostly care about for the core events. And for the core events, we want to add the context that makes it very clear for us what happened. An amazing, a great tracking plan is a plan that when I, uh, it, it generates a tracking that when I go and I analyze a user by just looking at the event and event properties without seeing images, I get a very clear understanding of where he was and what he did. So, Open any user profile in any analytics tool you have, look at what he did event after event and ask yourself, is it very clear for me what happened, what he did? And if it's not, it means you're not tracking the right event properties or the right event names. Can you give an example of like what a profile would look like then? So let's do the onboarding process, yes. Created account would be the first, uh, the first event. Uh, then would be uh, a UX event. Uh, let's say onboarding question screen. Uh, we, we would say screen onboarding questions. That's what was loaded. Uh, onboarding questions submitted would be the next event. But under event properties would be question one, answer, question two, answer, question three, answer. So you would know exactly what the user answered. 
then would be another event uh, business pro- screen business profile uploaded picture um set a business name and you could put the business name there and i hope this gives an idea of how the tracking should look like you would have both ux so different screens loaded clicks that happened but you'd also have what was saved uh, and uh, those are typically the core events yeah and then you mentioned as well like the credit counts and uh, that um that's where as well you'd want to be sending some of the like firmographic or demographic data you're collecting at sign up so company size um role that they're currently in uh, employees and so forth yeah exactly um cool so we established and we, i think we both definitely agree that like if you're thinking about trying to track and understand churn and retention from a data perspective like the best place is always to start with having a very, very solid tracking plan Uh, you mentioned as well then that like one of the key areas that you always say to focus on is the activation and onboarding uh, experience and like just get that in. Let's say now we've managed to add our first couple of events. We have uh, the account created and we have uh, the value prop uh, received for onboarding. What can I do with these metrics now? Like what can I start to understand about my users? Okay, so... Uh, let's focus a little bit on churn, maybe, because that's a lot of companies that come to InnoTrend say we have a churn problem prior to signing up. Um, I like it would be a statistic that comes out of my head. I didn't really do it uh, manually, but I would say that probably eighty percent of them are wrong. Very few companies that come to us actually have a retention problem. Most of them have an onboarding problem. So the first report that I always recommend people to go inside Inertrends is it's a pre-built report. So how are people converting during the onboarding process? Because Inertrends knows your customer journey metrics and has your tracking plan and everything tracked. It just generates the report automatically without needing to manipulate any data. And in that report, it will tell you how many people get to the end of the onboarding process and at what step you are losing most of them. So from here, there are two directions you should go. First is, why should I care about the onboarding process? Uh, and that takes you to answering two questions. What is the retention of the account that finished the onboarding process? Another pre-built report. By default, we only care about the retention of the onboarded accounts. But to prove to you that it's so important to look at the retention of the onboarded accounts, We also deployed another pre-built report, which is what is the retention of the accounts who didn't finish the onboarding process? And I'm amazed at how every time when people load that report and it goes to zero in week one or two, uh, they are like, wow, so important to to have accounts onboarded. Because yes, if you don't have them onboarded, there is no reason for them to use your product. And I think that's a message that came across a lot in your uh, in your in the in the Churn FM podcast. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yes. Like when they see that, then they immediately go back to the onboarding process. Like, how do we improve it? Um, and the, the onboarding process, we identified the step that we lose the most users. And there we have another pre-built report, which is one of the most powerful Latino trends. What are the actions that people do between onboarding steps? So that uh, automatically categorizes all the activity that people do between the step where uh, the step where they lose most accounts and the next one, and all those uh, those actions are categorized in three buckets. 
actions that are specific to accounts that are successful, actions that are specific to accounts that dropped off, and actions that are uh, not specific to either of the groups. From that report alone, you kind of know immediately what you need to do in your product, in your communication, in order to address the onboarding problem. And the last uh, probably um, pre-built report that people want to go really quickly, though it kind of needs at least four months of data to have gathered, is what are the differences in actions between onboarded accounts that return and those that churn? Uh, that report came as our need to have a clear definition for the North Star metric. North Star metric is an abstract concept. And when we looked at it, we said North Star metric should refer to uh, a very specific metric that we find it in successful people, but we don't find it in people that churn. And that's how we came up with the idea of this pre-built report. And yeah, we, you all know the, the North Star metrics of Facebook or Slack or Dropbox, they have been around uh, for a long time. They're like a legend now, but they're right. For every single business where we ran that report, it's always two or three actions done repeatedly a number of times that make the difference between people that return and those that turn. Yeah, for sure. Th this uh, actually was one of the reasons why I started uh, the show, because I think it definitely applies. Like there's certain metrics that you can uh, solve for and focus on that. I think that the problem with that is that like people fixate on this idea that, okay, I need seven friends in five days and that's going to solve all my churn and retention uh, problems and it really simplifies the thing which is nice because you give everyone a common target but i think it oversimplifies it for most businesses or because it's not always that clear or that simple to get those five friends in seven days and understand what that is and also there's also so many different inputs that go into the final output metric so it's not just about getting those actions but there are other aspects to it it's like is your marketing on points like how is sales trying yeah. to close deals are you closing the right customers like so there's a whole bunch of other things as well that happen in between. Uh, but yeah, I 100% agree with you uh, on the, the sort of the onboarding actions. It's actually funny because I'm going through this exact exercise now for my startup. So, And it's just as a result of like listening to the podcast and uh, like having all the guests on the show is really like how important user onboarding is. And it is really day and night. It's like when we look at our data, we see, okay, those that went through onboarding and completed a key action that we uh, see as, uh, as like one of the main value props of our product versus those that don't like the retention is like uh, off the charts is like almost zero for people that don't do it it's normal they came they were looking for a service they didn't do what they were looking for so why should they come back and those that do it is really really strong but on aggregate because we have a freemium product retention looks really bad uh, as a result but when you're able to segment those out you can really see okay this product's very sticky. Uh, and then now it's just a matter of like, how do we optimize our onboarding experience to get yeah. more people to establish that value? And actually just last week, we, we ran out a really, really successful experiment where we increased activation by 180%. Uh, so, uh, but nice. yeah, <laughs> it was a good one. It was, to be fair, like the onboarding experience was really, really crap. So it was very, very easy to beat. Um, but I definitely see sort of like the huge amount of value in focusing on onboarding because of the compounding impact over time. Even if you do have really decent retention today, like the way if you spend time and effort improving the onboarding experience, 
that means you're going to be keeping customers, uh, more customers for longer, and that just keeps compounding over time. So um, big, big area of focus. The thing then you mentioned now, so we focus on onboarding. You also mentioned as well, like looking at the key actions that users are taking versus don't take. I think this one is like typically like where you get a lot of gray area and it's quite difficult to understand. So I'm interested, like what sort of levels of data does a company need to have for you to be able to get these clear signals? Because I think definitely early stage, we were talking about companies that don't have a lot of customers, don't have a lot of data. And even in our case, like we're still early stage, the volumes that we have, like we can only really take the data at like a face point and just use it for signals rather than this is reality. Um, so in that case where you're trying to understand these actions, like what is sort of like the size or scale the companies need to be at where you can actually get some sort of significant statistical significance out of yes. it? That's a, that's, a, that's a very good question. And I was very surprised. We, we introduced statistically significant um, algorithms in all our reports by default. So whenever we say that there is a drop-off at an onboarding step, for example, we know it's statistically significant. It's not just uh, by accident uh, there for one day. So... And my belief was when I uh, when we built Unitrans was that yeah you you need hundreds of signups to to get there. Um, I was very surprised to see that not really, I would say over a hundred a month at least, and depending a lot on what's happening. But big drop-offs are are statistically significant at much smaller numbers than bigger numbers. Yes, a difference of 5% needs big numbers, but a difference of 20% needs much smaller numbers. And um, yeah, I would say a minimum 100 signups when you need to, to start looking at, uh, at it. But for the difference of actions between onboarding steps, even 100 signups is not enough. Probably 300 accounts that get into that scenario, in, uh, that get to that step where you have uh, the most, uh, the biggest drop off, I would yep. say from what I've seen. But it's hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of signups. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also what you like, it's a key, key point as well. Like, if we start to want to think about how do we measure the impact that we're having and how do we get like statistical significance, is that it's not really the volumes is not as important as how big of a lift up or down you're trying to measure. Yes. Uh, so like you say, if it's like uh, you're running something and you want to see, okay, it has this improved. You can tell with like statistical significance, if it's a major improvement, like if it's a 50% or 25% that like, if you have a, like in our case, we, the experiment that we were running, we were trying to understand, okay, uh, how long do we need to run this test for to get an uplift of say like 20 or 30%. And it was four weeks um, that we needed to run the data in order to be able to understand that lift. But because it was so significant, we managed to get significance in like five days because it was 180% yes. uh, uplift. And I think this is like one of the things is like when we early stage, we want to be able to understand like how our metrics and analytics is doing is like if there's big changes, you can measure it with reliability. If it's like you're trying to make these small nuanced improvements, yes. that's where you really need to have like data on your side and you need to have volumes to be able to uh, understand those changes. Yeah, and the small businesses, I think the most important for them is to have a clear status. What's my onboarding rate? 
uh, what's my retention rate? The big, the big numbers. The big numbers. And yeah. you you go through account by account at small numbers. That's what we actually like. We have integrations with hot jars and all the video record session there. And you can segment, okay, who are the people that dropped off at the first step of the onboarding process? Drill down to them, get their video session recordings and watch them. Um, Basically, we kind of, in those situations, we only help to get to pinpoint a specific group. It's not statistics. You don't have a problem of statistics Yep. You, know, you have under 100 signups a month. Uh, as start, you start growing, statistics becomes a problem. And that's where the algorithms uh, become very powerful. For sure. And I think like what you're saying is that being able to combine like quantitative and qualitative uh, together is really powerful. Like we simply do a very similar thing as well with Hotjar. Uh, we actually have it like now we've started what we call popcorn sessions, which is something like uh, yeah. I learned at a lot of companies actually do themselves where they get the team together and they sit and they watch recordings and like the amount of value you extract in an hour, just watching like uh, quantitatively, like what people are going through and where, what they think. And sometimes we do sort of like we see something in the data and then we'll say, okay, like this popcorn session, let's try and see if we can answer these questions. Exactly. Um, so exactly. yeah. Uh, and specifically in an early stage where we're at now, like this is a, it's a huge help having both signals. Uh, and then on top of that, just speaking to customers is probably the most powerful thing uh, you can do. Um, yeah. 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 But, and the da- but the data can guide you what are the customers you should talk to and what you should ask them. So that's why I think you should always mix uh, all of them. You should, on- should not only rely on data, you should not only rely on customer interviews, they should be mixed because they, they, they are just different sides of the same coin. And I always say your role as a product manager or as a strategist is like a, an army general. You want to get as much intel about the battlefield so you know what you are going to move in order to have a victory. Um, that's the purpose of data. That's the purpose of customer interviews, to give you the intel and not guess. You, you do... Uh, there's still going to be risk. There is always going to be risk in everything you do, but that's calculated risk, which is much more different than simply, okay, what happens if we do that? Yeah. And you reduce the the level of risk as well for every additional data point you have. So the more different tools and services you bring into your arsenal that like allow you to understand what's happening, uh, the the less risk you're leaving on the table as well. I see we're almost running up on time. Uh, I want to make sure I have time for a couple of questions to ask every guest. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. You join, I think I already know your answer, but you join a new company, churn and retention is not doing great. And the CEO comes to you and says, Claudio, like, we really need to turn things around. We have 90 days. We need to do it fast. Um, you're in charge. What do you do? The catch, you're not going to tell me I'm going to look at the data and see the problem or I'm going to speak to customers. You're just going to pick one thing that you believe or you've seen to be effective in another company, and you're going to run with that playbook blindly. So you're just going to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do to solve uh, churn retention at this company. Uh, what would be the one thing that you would want to do to help reduce churn fast? It's a difficult question without looking at the data, but I'm going to answer it. Um, I'm going to talk to the... Um, I would need to get this information. Give, give me on the phone call all the customers that uh, paid and did not finish the onboarding process. Every single business has them, and that's the lowest hanging fruit you have to improve retention. 
companies that paid account, your customers that paid, but did not finish the onboarding process. You only need to help them to finish the onboarding process to stay longer for you. Otherwise, they churn the next month. And removing them, it actually increases considerably your lifetime value of your customers because you remove uh, the ones that only stay one or two months, which affect your averages a lot. Hmm. Yeah, I, was, I had a feeling you'd focus it somewhere on onboarding. I like that though as well. It's like... <laughs> Uh, focusing customers that have actually paid but not established the value because you do end up getting quite a few of those as well. They're like, oh, I'm going to sign up, uh, like, and just pay with a credit card and I'll come back to this at some point and then end up like three months later, oh, we didn't even use this. Like, let's cancel it, uh, sort of. Yes. So, uh, nice. The next question is What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? that you can't force it. Um, I used to think as a lot of people that I only need to find out what makes people uh, retain and I'm going to shove it up to them and I'm going to have amazing retention. Uh, it doesn't work like that. You don't force retention on people. You don't like, if you find out that they had seven friends in five days or whatever it is, you won't add them automatically and they'll be retained. It's not, and I have an amazing story about this. A search engine optimization product finds out that if people add five keywords for research, they're going to stick to the product. And they say, okay, we'll add them automatically. And three months later, they do the analysis, that number grew to 10. People needed to add five by themselves. It's not the number five, it's the experience to get there. You cannot force retention. You need to improve your product to enable it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's also one of the dangerous sides when it comes to like metrics and analytics is when we see the specific numbers or specific actions users need to take, like they, we can automatically start thinking, okay, what are the behaviors we can engineer to get us there? Uh, but like the goal is not to get to the number, the goal is to get to the value. Uh, and I think that's yeah. also like something to be very careful of when you just get started uh, with analytics and tracking is like not to obsess of the numbers themselves, but actually what is the end value that we're delivering and the numbers need to match the end value, not the other way around. Uh, so very well said. Yeah. Nice. Claudia, is there any sort of final thoughts uh, you want to leave the listeners with? It's been a pleasure chatting today. Like uh, obviously all the things we've discussed will be in the show notes as well, but is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Um, yes. Always be, we always question um, all your decisions. The, I, I do, I'm, a, I'm a data person, but I'm a true believer in gut feeling, and which is weird. You won't hear a lot of people in the data space uh, talk about that. I would say listen to your guts for the questions you should ask from your data, because that's where a lot of value comes from. Nice. I like that. Well, thanks very much uh, for joining Tiplone. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and uh, wish you best of luck going forward. Thank you. Great being here. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to Andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.